From WNET in New York, I'm Tom Stewart with another edition of WNET Up Next, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and helps you get to know the people who create our programs. January 22nd marks the launch of the second season of Mercy Street, an original historical drama series on PBS that's set in the time of the Civil War. And I'm delighted to welcome, by telephone, Mercy Street's executive producer, David Zabel, to find out a lot more. David, welcome to WNAT Up Next. Thanks for having me, Tom. Happy to talk to you. Let's start off just with the the premise of the series. For those who don't know, tell us uh, about Mercy Street. Mercy Street is a series set in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, starting in 1862, towards the early part of the Civil War. And Alexandria was a very interesting setting for a dramatic series, we felt, because it's it's a town that's really on on the border between North and South. Mm-hmm. And it becomes quickly uh, occupied by the Union Army. So it's it's really a southern-leaning town with a Union occupation when we come into our story. And the nexus of our story, uh, although we cover very many different sort of subcultures of, of Alexandria at this time, but the, the nexus is the hospital, the Mansion House Hospital, which um, was a real hospital that was converted from the fancy hotel in Alexandria and one of the most famous hotels in the South at the time, which was the Mansion House uh, Hotel, which was owned by the Green family of Alexandria. So they, uh, the Greens, decided to stay in Alexandria when their hotel was taken over and turned into a Union hospital. And that gives us one of the central conflicts of the show, which is that this this well-to-do Southern family refuses to leave and wants to stay and kind of protect what they have, hoping that the war will be a, a quick uh, engagement that will be over soon. Their hotel has been taken over by uh, the Union Army for a hospital. That's right. So that so that a big focus of the show is what's going on in that hotel, now turned hospital, and the doctors and the nurses that work there, and the, the various soldiers who are coming through that place, and, and other characters who are also coming through it. Now, where are we as season two uh, begins? Season two begins... Uh, Immediately after the events at the end of season one, in historical terms, the North has been turned away from Richmond. So that that was a success, so to speak, for the for the South, um, an upswing for the South because the North has failed to take Richmond. And in 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 our world of Alexandria, what we've portrayed, among many other things, is that um, President Lincoln has been visiting hospitals, which he was in fact doing at this time in history quite frequently. He's visited our hospital, and at that moment, there was a plan by Frank Stringfellow, also, you know, a character based on on a real character, Frank Stringfellow, who was a Confederate spy, to blow up the hospital, mm-hmm. again, based on some factual material. And that plot has been called off, so that, that has not happened. But what we're tracking at the end of the of season one, going into the beginning of season two, is the aftermath of all of that, this, this Foiled plot and the sort of um, various kind of roiling emotions that are happening for various characters at this this very pregnant moment in the war. Okay, I'd like to ask you who first came up with the idea for for Mercy Street. Where did this come from? It's an interesting process that got us to the beginning of the show. It started really with Lisa Wolfinger with whom I, I created the show ultimately, but it, her idea originally was to do a documentary type piece about advances in medicine that were made during the Civil War. So it really focused on the medical and medical um, characters from, from history and how 
things uh, were being starting to be discovered in terms of trauma medicine and wartime medicine uh, during the Civil War, and, and, and so a much different piece. And she and I were introduced to each other because she wanted to incorporate some dramatic elements into what she was doing, and I had a lot of experience on the show ER doing kind of medical drama. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just sat down and talked to her for, for a bit about how to incorporate some drama into the medical history and the, the science of it. And then she went to PBS and Beth Hoppe, you know, who, who was a great fan of the idea from the beginning, and, and Beth would listen to some of the things that, that Lisa was telling her and that Lisa and I talked about, and, and Beth said, well, could, you, could this be a dramatic series instead of a docudrama or a mm-hmm. documentary about medicine? Could, could you do this as a full-fledged dramatic series? It was partially Beth's notion that they wanted a great American show because yeah. they felt like well, we have these British shows that we keep importing, but we, why don't we have an American show on an American theme on PBS? So it, it, you know, that was a big impetus for why she said, can you make it a dramatic series? Because yes. they, you know, they had Downton Abbey and they had Sherlock and they had all these things, but they felt like, well, you know, it's kind of crazy that PBS doesn't have an American show, yeah. even any American show right. at all, but certainly you know, hopefully one of that caliber. And at that point, Lisa and I put our heads back together and started going, okay, how could we do this? Where would we set it? How would we, you know, how would this work? Because we didn't want it to just be about doctors and nurses at that point. We thought that would be too dry. So we wanted to find a place where we could capture other kinds of experience. And so that it wasn't just a Northern show either. We wanted to capture sort of the Southern experience and the Northern experience. We wanted to capture the male experience and the female experience, with, mm-hmm. which, which doing it in a hospital with nurses really helped us do. And we also wanted to do the, the the black experience at the time and not just we didn't want to make any of these stories monolithic so we wanted to find a way to capture more than one version of what a black experience at this point in history was and what we found in Alexandria was this amazing portal to freedom for a lot of um, former slaves and and so what you had in Alexandria was you had you had free blacks who had come south for various reasons to help in the war effort which our character Samuel represents that you also had had free and enslaved blacks who had been living in Alexandria from before the war. And then you had this great influx of what are called contraband. Yes. Who are recently freed or escaped slaves coming from the South and coming to Alexandria as a kind of portal into the North so that it becomes for them a sort of refugee town and a a town where they're living in camps and living in that kind of um, purgatory. So I know that's a big part of this, big part of the story in the, uh, in the second series is the contraband story. In the shadow of the hospital uh, is the contraband tent where they are held and being given some medical care, and I won't give much more uh, away than that. Right, but that was a big that was a big element. Even going back to the genesis of the show, even though we didn't get to cover it as much in season one because we had you know we ran out of we ran out of episodes, so to speak. We ran out of real estate, but we always had the intention of exploring that even more than we were able to in season one. So season two, as you say we really dive much deeper into that experience and that part of this world. But all of that was, were things that attracted us to Alexandria because it seemed to be this incredible cross-section at this moment in history. And the stories, it's obviously a blend of uh, fact and fiction. How, how do you put all that together? Uh, these are based on real people, many of them, some of them uh, more fictional characters. How does all that work from your writer point of view? Well, I, you know, for me... You, you try to hew as close to the history uh, as you can, but 
you do need to sort of carve a story and, and make sense of things that aren't documented and make sense of, you know, events that happened that, that you don't have full explanations of. And, and also, it's, it, I, I will tell you, I apply a somewhat different standard to a historically significant person than somebody who is not, you know, was not on the big, on the big canvas of the war. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about where Pinkerton was at a certain time or where, what Lincoln was doing at a certain time, I'm not going to fabricate that. Yes. Um, but, but, but with the Greens, for example, we try to cue to the spirit of what we understand to have been their lives and their experiences. But within that, for sure, there are, there are liberties taken. There are creative choices that are made um, to help make sense of some of the things or to, just to tell a good story. You know? and, mm-hmm. and some of it's just practical. There were more children in the Green family than what we portray in the show, but we just don't have the... It would just be it would clog up the story in a way. So that's the kind of thing that I feel that we're entitled to sort of say, okay, well, we're just telling the story of these three children. We're not talking about the other children. Okay. <laughs> Did you actually uh, have to do a lot of consulting with uh, historians and other period experts to to get things right? Yeah, I, I would. I have to say that I can't imagine that there have been too many shows that had more experts than we have had on this show, partially because we're, we're, we're going into, we're dipping our toe into a lot of different swimming pools here. <laughs> um, meaning that if we're tell, you know, if we're talking about battles, we have the great historian James McPherson to keep us honest in terms of, of the sort of battle history of the civil war. When we're in the hospital, we have Shauna Devine who wrote a great book called learning from the wounded for a lot of the medical details. We have, uh, you know, an expert on nursing specifically. We have an expert on Southern gentility and we have experts on contraband life and, you know, African American um, culture at the time, you know, so we have an expert on almost every element that you could imagine. And we talk to them before we write the script, while we write the script. And then after we've written the script, they read them and, and they get back to us with any points or concerns that they have. And then a lot of those people also are called in for specific moments that we think are important while we're shooting, while we're filming the show, so that if we're filming a scene that's, that's got a lot of a high level of difficulty, let's say, or is very complicated, we want an expert there, you know, putting eyes on that to say like, oh, that's not, they wouldn't use that kind of scalpel. Ex-slaves would not sing this song even, or they would, you know, you've chosen the wrong song or you they're playing the wrong instrument. That would not be an instrument that a contraband who escaped from Alabama would be playing in this camp in 1862, like that, to that, to that level of specificity. So it's amazingly uh, authentic in that way. Uh, the we cast, try, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's so impressive. Even the medical procedures uh, reflect the state of medical arts in that period, which I think was amazing. Yeah, I mean, that was, and of course, that was sort of the initial impulse of the whole show was about the medical. So, uh, yeah, we've tried, we, we try very hard to be really specific and precise and careful about that. And um, we have a bunch of different experts uh, besides Shauna, who I mentioned, you know, who, who help us there. And, and sometimes if it's a specific thing, we had a great expert named Anthony Tizano who helped us with it. He was an expert on women's health in this period. So when we've had stories, we've had a couple of them now, but in the first season we had one big one with Aurelia, uh, with her, her pregnancy, where we really needed someone who knew very, very um, obscure stuff about what they would do in that situation with, with a pregnant woman who had tried to, to abort her own baby and, and, and how, you know, what, what are the things they could do to save her and what are the, 
what are the factors around that that would allow us mm -hmm. to tell that story uh, with some degree, you know, with a great degree of accuracy. So, so some of it's a very, it's detailed within detail sometimes. It's not even enough to just have a medical expert. Sometimes we have to go, okay, we have a medical expert, who, but the medical expert who is great doesn't know enough detail about this particular avenue we're going down. So we need to find someone else who can be really like, can show us pictures of what the instrument is, help the prop guy make that instrument or help the costume designers that, that she can know what, what, how we need to dress this character so that we can what we need to happen here happen. You have an absolutely brilliant cast. You know, I noticed a lot of people are uh, theater yeah. actors or, or most famous for theater actors as, as well as television actors. Talk about the cast. Talk about some of the actors that, that you've recruited it, for this it, show. It, it's, it was a great, a great and somewhat unexpected blessing that we were able to attract the level of actors that we were. It was one of the more moving things that I've had happen to me in, 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 my, in my years of, of working because this is not a show that's, got a huge profile it's not a show that is being made for a lot of money um so the only reason to show up is because you're an actor who really responds to the material and wants to be in that world and what happened was we got actors that i've admired for a long time and like you said a lot of them from the theater who really took an affection for the characters and the, and the material and wanted to come be in the world that we were trying to build so it's really a stellar cast, and it became a blessing and a curse to some extent, I'll tell you the truth, Tom, because the blessing was there are so many great actors in the show. The curse for me was I, I constantly felt like I was underusing people because yeah, it's, a, it's such a big, great cast. That there were times where I was embarrassed that I couldn't give some of them more than what they had in a given episode just because I have to sort of follow where the story wants to go. But it's a great combination, too. It's you know There are some theater actors who have been doing great theater work for years, and, you know, a bunch of Tony winners. It has to be one of the more Tony-recognized casts in the history of television, I would imagine, because there's a bunch of Tony winners. I think, I think you're right. Donna Murphy and Norbert Leo Butts, and, and there's a bunch, and, and, and Scott Caldwell, and then there's a bunch of other who's, who are nominees. And we have young, you know, young theater actors and theater actors who've been around longer. And then we have really good, smart actors who have done quite a bit of film and TV, like Josh Radner and, and, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, so it's a really nice combination of, of actors and, and a great group and a great, and they bring a great energy to it. And it's very, you know, as a writer, it's, it's very motivating when you know that you've got actors that can, and then you see that probably you, you having seen a season two may recognize this, that once, once you know who your actors are and you know what they can do, then, then you want to go down to different nooks and crannies with different actors that you haven't gotten to explore as much maybe prior to that. So in season one, we didn't know exactly what we had. Then in season two, I was like, well, we have to do something great with Matron because Suzanne Burdish is so awesome and we mm -hmm. have to develop Anne's character more because we, we didn't give Tara Summers enough to do in, in, in the first season and, and she's not as dimensional a character as, as we want her to be or as we intended her to be or as the actor is fully capable of playing. And that's the beauty of being able to make more episodes because we only did six in the first season. The second season, you get to, you get to really broaden the, the palette, I think, quite a bit. And what was life like on location in Virginia for you? Well, I, I can't imagine having made the show anywhere else. I mean, partially, obviously, it's just set in Virginia, so shooting in Virginia is a huge boon. Even, you know, visually, obviously, that, that, that lends a lot to it. But also, the, the crew in Virginia was the perfect crew for the show, and they were a fantastic crew, and they brought a lot to it. 
not beyond just their skill. I mean, they have tremendous skill and talent, the crew, but they also, they live in a place where when you walk down the street, you know, you, you, you see the, the statues and the various museums and things. The Civil War is, is not sort of just in books when you go down south. And that's something that sort of was kind of new for me, too, because I'm from the north and, and now in California, and I hadn't had a lot of experience with that. So I felt that the crew, they, they have a skill that most people wouldn't have in terms of realizing this period visually, but also that, that there's something about telling the story that, that really excites them and interests them and, and is part of their uh, cultural history. So I, I think uh, shooting it in Virginia was fantastic. People were very good to us. We, I think we, we spent most of our time in Richmond, and, and I think the cast really loved Richmond, and Richmond loved the cast. It was, it was a very... Um, very good experience and it's not always like that when you go on a location and especially a location where it's, it's not you know Richmond's not a big city but mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was a very good place for us both in terms of the work and in terms of offering some um, distractions when we weren't working you know in terms of good food and, and, and fun stuff to do and, and a nice environment. It sounds like the opportunity for the cast to really bond on, on a situation like that. Yeah that really did happen that really did the cast I think really grew close together and really liked it and, and, um, and did a lot of stuff. I mean, I was, I was sometimes amazed at how much they would, you know, they would have things planned almost every weekend, and I would sometimes go, but sometimes I'd have to go find a location or something, and I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but, but the cast was almost always planning a meal or an outing. Some of what the actors were doing was also just learning and educating themselves. Uh, and so I know Jack, for example, Jack Fowler, who played Stringfellow, he wanted to learn more about Frank Stringfellow, the real guy. So beyond reading the books and the materials that we gave him, he went to local museums in Richmond and was able to find some letters and, and documents that pertained to Frank um, that we had never even seen. And, you know, that, so that's another advantage to shooting in Virginia and, you know, making the show there. Um, it, it's really, at the time I was worried when we went to Virginia that, that we would have to give up stuff because I wasn't familiar with it, honestly, and I was worried that it just wasn't, you know, a place where you commonly make a TV show like this. But in retrospect, thank thank goodness we were there because it, the show, so much was added to the show by being there. And and like you said, the, the cast really bonded there and the crew was, was a, a sort of secret weapon of the show. It really gives the series a very unique look. These are locations that we're not familiar with from, from other TV and film, you know, a couple of times I was indeed reminded of Ken Burns' Civil War series in, in terms of the mm-hmm. lighting and in terms of the uh, the way things were, were were laid out. Yeah, certainly, you know, Ken's show was a big influence for us, you know, for anyone really who, who has studied the Civil War over the, over the last 20 years. It's hard to avoid the impact of what Ken Burns did with that show. So it's definitely an influence. It was very helpful, and, and, you know, Ken Burns has been a big supporter of our show. He's been great. So at the same time that we were we were using Ken as a resource and his work as a resource, we were also trying to make sure that there were distinctions. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that the PBS audience understood that there was this great sort of seminal documentary made that most of them have seen that told the story of the war in a, in a big way and in a very effective way, that, that this show has some of the same vibe as that but also is, is going off in different directions. So there were, you know, there were ways in which we wanted to emulate it or, 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 um, or nod to it, but then also ways where we wanted to make sure that people felt that this was a different, a different experience than watching that show. You know, I know that you are a Princeton graduate and you uh, 
were a graduate in acting at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts in acting. Uh, what yes. what led to your becoming a, a writer producer in television <laughs> as opposed to an actor? Well, I always wrote all the way through, and you know, before I went to Princeton, you know, before college in high school, I was my you know I was writing a lot, and I was writing a lot in college, and even when I was in at drama school at NYU, I was I was writing, and I kind of wanted to be a person of many hats. You know, I wanted to write and direct and act, um, but I did focus on acting for a couple of years when I was at NYU. What happened really was that after I, the life of an actor started to not appeal to me so much after I graduated NYU and, and I, I was writing more and more and I was really kind of falling in love with the process of, of, of writing and coming up with stories. And uh, I just, you know, I started to follow that more and more and I had some good fortune early on where I was hired to write some scripts and I just sort of took it from there. It was a pretty organic transition for me. It didn't feel like a full transition because it was just sort of a, a leaning one way as opposed to a leaning the other way. And it's helped me a lot. The acting training helped me a lot, I think, because I, I think I understand actors pretty well and I like communicating with actors and, and I like writing for actors and thinking, you know, how is an actor going to do with this material? If, if someone handed me this scene and asked me to do it, do I have, you know, do I know how to, uh, a way to approach this? And I think that's very helpful. Um, and, and again, you know, going back to your reference to the, the cast, I mean, I grew up as a, a bit of a theater nerd in New York. Um, so to have a cast like the cast we have that's kind of got all these great theater actors for me is, is especially gratifying because that's, that's really where my whole interest in drama came out of, you know, and dramatic storytelling came out of uh, sitting in theaters when I was nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, uptown, downtown, all over New York. You know, you've won many honors for your, for your work, uh, particularly on ER. I know you won the Humanitas prize, uh, did the ER experience directly lay the groundwork for Mercy Street in some way? It it did. I mean, it, in a literal sense, it did, because the reason that Lisa came to me was because of my experience on ER. So we would have not been introduced to each other had she not wanted to do a show that involved a combination of medical storytelling and dramatic storytelling and I had a lot of experience in that exact um, exercise. So in that sense, it, it certainly did. And But yes, beyond that, I think that there, there is a sprawling and I think, you know, quite exciting mess of a world in Mansion House Hospital in Mercy Street. The you show bet. That, that, yeah, that, that, that I think ER also kind of had. And, and that, that can be challenging sometimes because there's a lot going on. There are a lot of people to follow. There are a lot of stories to follow. And that certainly is something that in the, is in the DNA of both shows, in the DNA of Mercy Street and in the DNA of, of ER, is that, that approach to the storytelling. Um, you know, many, many differences, of course, too, but I do think that that is a pretty big similarity. Mm -hmm. and, and you spoke about it before, but tell me more about the PBS collaboration. What's that been like for you and your colleagues? And, and do you feel that a program for PBS uh, differs from one that you might make for commercial television? Absolutely. Doing it for PBS is a very different experience in most ways, a, a, a great experience, because, uh, because there is not the commercial concern that you would have if you were doing it on a commercial network. First of all, PBS is very collaborative and open creatively, which is not always the case with the network or with executives. Sometimes there's a lot of 
a desire by the executive to dictate to the creative folks what the show should be and how the show should be executed. That didn't happen at PBS. You know, we would discuss everything and run it by PBS, but there was never a power struggle for the soul of the show, mm-hmm. which I've seen happen many times and I've experienced a few times myself. In addition to that, what's great is that you know when you're writing for a PBS audience that you're writing for an audience that has a lot of education and a, and a lot of uh, an ability to, to, to sort of experience a show and enjoy a show that's pitched uh, at a pretty high level intellectually and in terms of how the, how the story is told. So that, that, you know, you, you, it's a different audience and you certainly, you know, we're certainly aware of that when we're writing the show and making the show that, that our audience can take and, and absorb some stuff that your average audience might not. Ideally, hopefully what it does is it allows you to write a smarter show, a more challenging show and a, a show that, um, doesn't have to connect all the dots all the time because it's a more sophisticated audience in terms of what they read and what they watch. And what are the biggest challenges that face you in producing something like this? I'd say that, you know, one of the biggest challenges is the the historical accuracy and not mm-hmm. only telling the stories with historical accuracy, but then realizing that visually. So that's just hard. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of resources to try to be as precise as we can and accurate as we can. And, um, and we know it's, again, and that's another thing that being on PBS, that raises the ante. You know, uh-huh. I think we could, we, we might feel that we could, you know, that we could be a little looser about some of this stuff if we were on a, a different kind of network, but on PBS, we're very vigilant and diligent about trying to get that accuracy. And that takes a lot of time and effort and resources. So I'd say that's one of the biggest, uh-huh. one of the biggest challenges. The other thing I'll tell you, it goes back to when we were talking about the cast really, but you know, the language and the style of the show is, is difficult. It's not typical and it's, it's combining a few different elements. There's humor in the show and, and the language is, is a particular kind of uh, language. And so that's another reason why the, the theater actors have been so great, I think, because they've been able to rise to that style and, and realize that style um, and recognize that it's not totally naturalistic, but it's also not, you know, all stiff and starchy. So the actors have really been able to do that. But I think that that was a challenge of the show initially that I think we've gotten better at too, both in terms of how we write it and, and how we, how we play it, how we direct it and act it is, is that, that the, the style of it, because we didn't want it to be, we didn't want it to feel old fashioned or dry, but at the same time, we don't want it to feel like we've tried to make it all modern in a way that's not, that, that takes you out of the world and makes you think real. Yeah. How about the rewards of what you do? Uh, what, what's the great satisfaction that you get from doing this work? I'm very proud to make a show that I think, you know, really threads the needle in terms of being both very entertaining and engaging, but also educational and informative in a way that that's not uh, oppressive. We're not trying to be professorial in our storytelling, um, but we are trying to hopefully uh, offer some some observations and some information that people either are not aware of or this makes them aware and makes them then, you know, go and, and find out, find other sources to sort of deepen their knowledge. And that, that's part of, that's partially my experience of getting involved in the project was I had very little knowledge. And as I got a little more, I got more and more fascinated and interested. And so I started reading all, all different sources and lots of different books and became a bit of a, a nerd about a lot of this stuff. And so that's very satisfying. If, if it makes an audience go, 
that was very interesting and compelling, and it makes me want to now go read, you know, whatever that whatever that other thing is that it can drive them to, you know, without being pretentious about it. I, it, it that that's the most satisfying thing is when I hear stories of people who found the show compelling and interesting, and it made them want to know more and understand more about the stuff that w- that we were getting into. David, thank you so much for being with us. Our guest, David Zabel, executive producer of Mercy Street. Again, the second season begins Sunday, January 22nd at 8 p.m. on PBS stations around the country. And, of course, there's a lot more about the show at pbs.org slash mercy dash street. Uh, big social media presence, uh, social hub there online, uh, a little web series called The Good Stuff, which is very interesting. David, thank you so much, and we hope that you Thank you, Tom. It was a real pleasure. I really appreciate it. We hope, you, hope you'll be getting the green light soon for the third season of, uh, of Mercy so Street. I hope so, too. We have a lot more, a lot more to tell, but uh, hopefully that'll happen soon. Excellent. Thanks. And we'll be back again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. Uh, share your thoughts with us at upnext at WNET.org. Tell your friends about us, and of course, please do become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the design and on-air promotion department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart. Thanks for listening. 